0: Hey there Cramolics, it's your host Kenzie. Welcome back for another Friday episode. This week we're just going to jump right into discussing the murder of Ronnie Reuter. In 1985, a man by the name of Sean Gale was playing for the Chicago Bears. Everyone looked up to Sean, and he was a huge icon and role model. Everybody said that he was very down-to-earth, charismatic, he was laid-back, soft-spoken, and he was very popular amongst the women because everybody saw him as a super attractive football player. The entire time, Sean was seen as this very laid-back, available ladies' man. But what people did not know is that he was in a very long-term relationship with a beautiful woman by the name of Ronnie Reuter. Ronnie was a very beautiful woman who was from the state of Wisconsin, but she did not live far from the Chicago area. Her and Sean had originally met in Chicago at a Bears charity event. Everyone in Ronnie's life said that she was very big into fashion, and at the time that they had met, she was working at Macy's. Ronnie's brother Thad explained that Ronnie was so in love with this city life, and her love for Chicago just grew even bigger when she met Sean but Thad said that Ronnie never really grew out of that small town girl personality. Listening to Thad speak about Ronnie, it just gives you chills because you can tell that he really loved his sister so much and they had a very close relationship. He has always said that she had this huge smile and just greeted everybody with open arms. Thad had stated that when Ronnie began to start dating Sean in 1989, he was ecstatic because he was a huge Bears fan. So this was like a really big deal for him ronnie and sean had been together for 18 years prior to ronnie's death a lot of people including her brother thad felt it was very strange that ronnie and sean had never gotten married thad stated that it was weird to him because ronnie always wanted to get married and she was really wanting a family at the time He even stated that you could tell Ronnie was very much in love with Sean, but he just was not ready yet for marriage and kids. Sean even went as far as distancing himself from Ronnie's family. Over the course of their 18 year relationship, he had only seen her family in person about four to five times. Ronnie is a very family oriented person, so this just never sat right with her family. At the age of 41, very unexpectedly, Ronnie and Sean found out that they would be expecting a baby. And of course, you can guess that Ronnie was just over the moon with happiness because being a mom was something she had always dreamed of. family stated that the baby was all she could ever talk about. They were so happy they were finally getting the niece and granddaughter that her family had just been longing for. While Ronnie and her family are filled with excitement waiting the arrival of the baby girl, little did they know that arrival would never come. Even though Ronnie and Sean had been dating for 18 years and they're now expecting a baby girl together, the two of them never even lived together. So at the time of Ronnie's death, she was living in Deerfield, Illinois. Deerfield is the suburbs of Chicago, it's a very quiet and safe area. On the morning of October 4th, 2007, it was said that it was a very unusual warm morning. I remember growing up in Chicago, and at this time, it was typically extremely cold, and oftentimes, it had already been snowing. They described it as almost beach weather for that morning. On that morning, like every other day, Ronnie was getting ready to leave for work sometime around 8 a.m. Ronnie grabs her belongings and opens her front door and as she opens the front door, Ronnie was met with an unidentified person who shot her point blank into her pregnant stomach. Ronnie's neighbor that lived below her had called right away worried because she had heard screaming and then she heard two gunshots. After her neighbor makes the 911 call, the police brush over and when they get to Ronnie's house, they stated that it was one of the most horrific sights that they had ever seen. Ronnie was just covered in bullet's but only in her belly. Right away they knew that whoever did this wanted to make sure that her and Sean's baby was gone. Word had broke out very quickly and a lot of people were calling into 911 because this was just not something that happened in Deerfield. They even locked down all of the local schools because they were scared that a gunman was on the loose. When the police entered into Ronnie's home, they noticed all of the photos of her and Sean and realized exactly who she was. Somehow word spread out to the sports media of a pregnant woman in Deerfield who had been shot and very disgustingly of the sports media casters, they actually call Sean themselves. They told him that a pregnant woman in Deerfield had been shot and that he was a suspect. Sean calls into the Deerfield Police Department in a complete panic and what he gets is just devastating news. After Sean is given the heartbreaking news about his girlfriend and baby, he voluntarily goes down to the police station. And in almost every case like this, the husband or the boyfriend typically becomes the first person of interest or suspect in the case. Sean calls Ronnie's parents and told them the news. And as you can assume, her family is in complete shock and they are just heartbroken. It was not until a little while later that they actually learned the true heinous crime that was committed against Ronnie. And they're just having so much trouble being able to wrap their head around the fact that somebody could do something so horrible to their daughter and grandbaby. Without any forced entry and no signs of robbery, they feel that this was done by somebody who knew her. And so that is why they went straight Sean they thought that maybe he was not wanting her to continue the pregnancy at all police end up questioning Sean that day for over 10. 10- hours. He was said to have been very calm during this interview and that his timeline was off, which is why the police began to suspect him in the first place. During this time, police also had found out from his family and friends that Sean was very worried about her having a baby and was not happy about her pregnancy. They also found out that during this questioning, Sean had slipped up and said that he had multiple relationships with different women during the time of him and Ronnie's 18-year relationship. The police stated that Sean gave them a list with 18 to 20 different women's names on it, and these were women that he had either briefly dated or had some type of intimate relationship with. One woman in particular, her name was Monica Krewowska. They had dated eight months prior to Ronnie's death, and Sean said that this did not end well at all. Sean stated that Monica was harassing him after he broke off the relationship and ended up having to get a restraining order against her. Sean said that there was many times that Monica would show up at his home in the middle of the night and she would be pressing all these different buzzers on the door causing all kinds of problems for him with his neighbors. There was even a specific incident where monica had cut her arm from busting out sean's window this news shocked ronnie's family they knew that ronnie would not have been okay with any of this however to sean he was not in an exclusive relationship After being told about Monica's outrageous behavior, the police began to look into her. Sean also told police that he had felt Monica had sent several letters to many different women in his life. These letters stated things like, I think you would like to know what your boyfriend Sean is doing with a lot of other women. He will lie to you and tell you a lot of stories and try to make everything your fault like he does just to me. These letters, of course, caused major trouble for Sean. Even Ronnie and her mom received one of these letters, and her mom called Sean to ask him about it because she started to get really worried for Ronnie's safety. He just explained to her that it was an obsessed, crazed fan and that she had nothing to worry about. Ronnie actually had one of these letters in her mailbox at the time of her death. They all suspected Monica, They all said that she likely had been the one who did it. Police began questioning Monica, but they were able to rule her out very quickly with an airtight alibi. Monica worked as a personal trainer and was in session the time of Ronnie's death. This left police, of course, back at square one, and they began to comb through that entire list of women that Sean had given them. They were positive that her killer was on that list, and they would be correct. While the police were investigating Ronnie's murder, her family was holding her a funeral that obviously Sean attended. The police attended as well because they wanted to see who was going to show up, but most importantly, they wanted to watch Sean very closely. Sean did an exclusive interview after the funeral, and he said that he had asked the funeral director if he could please see his baby girl. The funeral director declined and said that the image he would see was something that he would never be able to get out of his head. As they were all grieving for Ronnie and her baby, the police were working really hard on her case. The police questioned neighbors around her and they all stated that at the time of her death, they saw someone fleeing the scene in a black four-door sedan and the person was very petite and in an all-black tracksuit. The neighbors stated, yes, they had heard the gunshots, but the sounds from the gunshot had been very muffled. This led the police to believe that the killer likely used a silencer on the gun, meaning that this must have been premeditated. So again, the police are combing through that list of names because given the circumstances of the killing, they are sure that this was someone that wanted Ronnie and the baby out of Sean's life for good. Tons of leads come into police at this time and several people that knew Sean kept telling the police to look into one woman they knew and her name is Marnie Yang. Marnie Yang was another woman that had a relationship with Sean. She had stated that she met Sean at a Bears convention, and since she was working security, she had full access to him. Marnie also told Sean that she worked as a real estate agent and gave him her card and said if you need any help finding real estate in the area give me a call. Not only did Marnie work in real estate, but she also had two other jobs in order to provide for her three children. It was said that Marnie was a very devoted mother and she was a very intelligent and compassionate person. Her three kids stated that their mom loved them so much and was always there for them at all times. They even said that she went to the ends of the earth to make sure that they were happy and she would do whatever she could to make sure that The kids were well taken care of. The people in Marnie's life said that she was so in love with Sean and that she for sure was his girlfriend. When questioned about it, Marnie heavily denied that she ever referred to Sean as her boyfriend. She said that all she ever did was help find Sean real estate. Two months after Ronnie's murder, they called Marnie in and questioned her about their relationship. Marnie stated that she never felt the need to have a lawyer because she didn't do anything wrong and just felt like she was there to help. During this questioning... She was very unaware that several people had already called and gave her name as a person who was possibly involved. Sean himself stated that Marnie was never his girlfriend, but their relationship did tend to get rather friendly. According to police during their investigation, they found out that the night before Ronnie's murder, Marnie was at Sean's home and the two of them did end up having sex. The police got a search warrant for his home and they took his computer, which the police were able to determine that Marnie had been tracking and keeping tabs on Sean's Every single move for years from access from his computer. Now that the police are fully well aware that Marnie is just obsessed with Sean, they are starting to believe that Marnie is the one who likely wrote all of the letters to all the different women in Sean's life. They said that she would have had easy access to addresses and names from gaining access to his computer. This causes the police to start suspecting Marnie of Ronnie's murder, and they want to use Sean as a way to be able to get Marnie to open up and hopefully tell him what happened to Ronnie. The police ask Sean if they can bug his house and have Marnie come over. With his home just completely surrounded with police and they're also hiding inside of his home, Sean begins to ask Marnie about the letters. During this time, as Sean is trying to coax Marnie into telling him what happened, Marnie obviously does not confess and their plan completely failed but they are so desperate to be able to pin this on Marnie because they are just absolutely certain that she is the one who is responsible for Ronnie's death. They start to go around Marnie's home and one night she pulls her trash out to the curb and they come to the house and they start digging through her trash can. They just happen to get lucky because while the police were digging through the trash can, they find a bank statement. And that bank statement showed Marnie had ordered a book, and this specific book was called Disposable Silencers. This book teaches you exactly how to make a silencer for a gun. Also inside this trash can, they found evidence that Marnie went to Home Depot and had bought a drill duct tape, hacksaw, and a tarp. The police still felt that this was just not enough physical evidence and they needed to do something more. So they got a search warrant for Marnie's home, and when they were there, they found all the address labels for each woman who had received a letter about Sean. They brought her back in for questioning after this, and they end up showing Marnie the photo of the deceased baby home hoping that it would get her to confess. The police stated she showed absolutely no emotion or no reaction at all to the photo, which seems totally odd to them because how do you look at a photo of a dead baby and not have some type of emotion? After three days of just hard questioning, they got nothing out of Marnie, so they had to let her go. Even though they had tons of evidence of her owning a 9mm, they had the letter labels and the book about the silencer, the DA said it was still not enough to be able to bring Marnie down. So what did they do? They turned to those who are closest to her. And what they would find out would shock them to the core. Marnie had a very close friend who she refers to just as an acquaintance. She stated that she was just doing real estate business with this lady and that their friendship was not serious and they were not very close. The friend's name is Christy Passion. Christy worked as a psychic and stated that she and Marnie had, in fact, been very good friends for several years. It was also said that Marnie told her friends and family that she was going to stay at Christy's house the night before. The murder, and then last minute, she had changed her mind. The police waste no time digging into Christy's passion and her work and all these different things about her life. When they start digging into her work, they find that a very strange and mysterious phone call came into Christy's work from Marnie herself, and luckily, those phone calls are recorded. On this phone call, Marnie calls in and she's saying things to Christy that just seem very off and you can hear Christy's voice and she sounds like she's almost in shock, like she doesn't know what to say to Marnie and she's very short and then she gets off of the phone. That audio had just haunted police because they thought that there was a high possibility that Christy was way more involved than they realized. They even thought that there was a possibility that maybe Christy loaned Marnie the getaway car because Marnie did not own a black four-door sedan. But as they dug into this more it turns out that Marnie rented a car just two days prior to the murder and listed Christie's address on the rental agreement. The rental car had even showed that there was only 40 miles put on the car during the entire rental time. And guess what? It was exactly 40 miles from the rental place to Christie's, to the murder scene, back to Christie's and then back to the rental place. The police interview Christy and tell her that she will be a co-conspirator unless she agrees to help them. So Christy opens up about everything, and she wastes no time. She begins to tell police that Marnie did stop at her house the night before after leaving Sean's and tells her, if I kill Ronnie, I will call you at work and ask you out to dinner. And that's how you will know that the job is. Is done. On that phone call, she made to Christie's work. She called in and she asked Christie, Do you want to go to dinner? Having the co-conspirator charge hanging over Christy's head, she was absolutely cooperative with the police. And they were able to convince Christy to record multiple phone calls with Marnie. When she would call her, she would try to get her to talk about the murder, ask her all these specific questions. But Marnie was kind of just shutting them down. And she tells her, I'm not going to talk to you on the phone, but if you want to, we can meet at Denny's. Both Christy and Marnie head over to Denny's. The women get there. They sit down at the table, and Marnie's acting pretty normal. Christy's kind of trying to push Marnie for information, but Marnie is just not budging, and Christy completely fails at being able to get her to confess to what happened to Ronnie. So she goes home for the night, and at this point, she's feeling defeated and that she's not going to be able to help the cops at all. But Christy was somehow able to convince Marnie to meet her at Denny's again the next day just one more time. She tells her, I just want to spend some time with you. I'm worried about you. Let's just sit down and chat. This time, when Christy and Marnie go to the Denny's, Christy is wired up and the police get exactly what they need. Marnie gives Christy a play-by-play of how she murdered Ronnie. Very quickly after she finishes up her confession, the police rush into Denny's and they arrest Marnie and tell her that she is charged with the murder of Ronnie Reuter. They take Marnie down to the police station and they play the recording of her confession and of course, she asks for a lawyer right away. While Marnie was in the interrogation room by herself when the police left the room, Marnie crawls onto the floor in the corner of the room and she gets into the fetal position and tucks her head into the corner of the wall. And you can just tell by her body language, she is scared to death and she realizes that she has lost Three years after Ronnie's murder, in March of 2011, Marnie is finally on trial and she faces life in prison. During the trial, both Marnie's daughter Emily and her friend Christy gave very, very damaging testimony that did not help her at all. The prosecution decided that they were going to show pictures of baby Skylar and these Pictures showed her lifeless little body with bullet holes in it, and I can just not imagine how horrific it was to see those kind of images. In the end, the jury only took four hours to find Marnie guilty of first-degree murder and intentional homicide of an unborn child. Marnie was sentenced to life in prison, but just eight years later filed an appeal saying she was very wrongly convicted. Thankfully, all of her appeals have been denied, and she continues to sit in prison where she should be for the rest of her life. But each day, Marnie and her team work endlessly to try to prove her innocence in one day, hoping that she will be released. We can all hope that Marnie Yang sits in prison for the rest of her life for what she did to Ronnie and her unborn baby. Crimeholics, if you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join a Crimeholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or follow us on Instagram, where I will have pictures of Ronnie Ruder posted. Or if you would like to follow me personally, you can follow me at this is Kenzie, K-E-N-Z-I underscore on Instagram. Crimeholics, as always, be aware and take care.